Coming to you live from Petoskey, Michigan, it's Northern Michigan's only live and local afternoon talk show, WMKT's Talk of the North. Something on your mind? Call our studio line at 866-371-1270 or connect on social media at Triple Talk WMKT on Facebook and X. Now, bringing you the latest news from the region, states, and around the country, here's your host, Nick Rudy. Good afternoon, Northern Michigan. Welcome to WMKT's Talk of the North on 1023 and 1033 FM, 1270 AM, Triple Talk WMKT, streaming online at WMKTTheTalkStation.com. Happy Wednesday. Midweek mayhem is here. We're although just getting started. The, uh, the mayhem that I speak of uh, is the weather. He thought that was bipolar. Uh, it's going to go uh, it's so far this year. It's going to go full Britney Spears over the, uh, the next seven days. Uh, Northern Michigan's average temperature going to be in the high 40s tomorrow, much like it was today. Very nice out, nice and sunny. Maybe not as sunny tomorrow, but um, certainly we'll still have high temperatures uh, in the 50s uh, in Traverse City is what it's calling for. Maybe with a little bit of rain, though. Friday, Saturday, more back to a normal for mid-February. Temperatures in the low 30s. And that 50 to uh, 31 degree temperature swing is usually uh, one of the worst temperature swings you can possibly have. So that'll be a bit of a shock. Then Sunday, for the foreseeable future onwards, calling for mid-40s, low 50s. Next Tuesday, they're saying it could even reach 60 in Traverse City, 58 in Petoskey. Um, when are we going to be able to, it's one of these things you have to wait until you officially have hit spring, but you don't really know when spring has started completely. Cause sometimes winter can sneak back in there, you know? And, uh, so when can we say whether or not this groundhog was correct? Cause if all that holds true that I just mentioned, I feel like it's fair to say that he was more right than wrong, but I guess we'll, we'll see. Just feel bad for the folks, the ski slopes. Bad year for them. We got to tease Michigan State just a little bit, I suppose. As I've said all season, they cobble together a few nice wins, and then one game they they forget how to play. And this time it was at home, which made it even worse. Only their third home loss of the season, uh, losing to the definition of mediocre, pretty much in all sports except for women's basketball, Iowa, seventy-eight to seventy-one at the Breslin Center. Uh, interestingly enough, Michigan um, was the team that lost to Caitlin Clark when she broke the uh, the record for NCAA scoring, and then Iowa decided to beat Michigan State on the men's side as well. I can only imagine what Izzo is going to do to them at practice. I would not want to be there. There's going to be uh, an abundance of yelling. Rest in peace to those players. Uh, they are going to be uh, dragon, I can tell you that. They'll play Ohio State next. I'll, of course, they'll be rooting for State to smash them. Want to see uh, Ohio State lose to all the Michigan teams for the remainder of the year. Um, I think it's uh, Michigan won earlier this year. State beat them earlier this year. They each have one more game to play. States and Ohio play later this week, and then it's three games from now for Michigan, so they have a couple of, couple of teams. I think both Michigan and Michigan State also have yet to play number two, Purdue, so... That is going to be interesting. Although speaking of which, Purdue actually lost to Ohio State. So kind of a weird Big Ten season so far. But uh, I think going back to talking about Michigan State, I think they're pretty well cooked for uh, 
not winning the Big Ten. Like I said yesterday's show, I think they they might have a moderately decent chance though of winning the Big Ten tourney, but uh, I think they're I think it's out of out of control to uh, win the regular season crown. No games tonight. Lots of games tomorrow. Lots and lots of them. So we'll cover that on tomorrow's show as we uh, lead up to them. We do have a big transaction to highlight. Red Wings signed forward Michael Rasmussen to a four-year extension worth $3.2 million. He's 24. He's young. He produces moderately well. 11 goals, 12 assists this season so far. Um, securing the future. I like that. They took care of Larkin. They took care of Rasmussen. Lucas Raymond is on a, a deal that is going to last a few more years. I'd have to check. I don't know what DeBrinket signed on as right now, but liking what we're doing, we're trusting in the Iser plan, as you would, uh, as they've been, as they've been saying. Um, Tigers, small move for them. They claimed outfielder TJ Hopkins off waivers from the Giants. Um, I I don't understand the move. I I mean, I understand they're not like making a big deal about this, so it's you know, it's like, oh man, this is overhyped or something. Uh, you. You know, you kind of change mid, you know, you change your basically triple A players from time to time. But but still, we have so much depth in the outfield. And this guy only hit like 171 last year during his stint in the major leagues for actually the Cincinnati Reds. Giants picked him up earlier this year or last season. Um, So I'm not exactly sure, like, why particularly the outfield. We have a lot of depth there. I mean, Akil Badu, who is borderline starter in the MLB. He's likely to start down in Toledo this year. So, um, you know, if we have an injury, then Badu's right there and we can use his bat and his speed. And he's, he's a very average defender too. I don't think he's anything, you know, overtly insane. He's not Curtis Granderson or Austin Jackson out in center field, but um, he is hundred percent serviceable. So I'm not exactly sure what that move is for, but we'll see. Maybe we're just going to try our hand with him. And if not, we'll put him on, put him on waivers as well to our trivia question for today we're gonna uh midweek where's the gas best to buy cheapest gas in northern michigan today traverse city petoskey cadillac or sheboygan those are your choices you can guess over on the trivia poll over on x at triple talk wmkt my personal x account at nick rudy you know i want to talk about when we do these you know where's the cheapest gas in northern michigan maybe you live in the gaylord area and you feel left out I understand, but you guys are, you're lucky enough. You have the cheapest gas all the time in Northern Michigan. So if I was to throw that in there, everyone would know you're always like at least like five, five to 10 cents cheaper than everyone else. There was a time that I was taking a trip down, down state. I think I was going to a concert and Gaylord was literally 20 cents per gallon cheaper than Batoski. I was like, definitely going to hit up Gaylord on the way home. So that's why you may not get mentioned in these because it's a very, very, um, very easy to tell. Gaylord's always going to be on top. But we have a couple of interviews headed your way, including today. We'll be speaking with Paul Tice, the author of the new book that just came out yesterday, The Race to Zero, How ESG Investing Will Crater the Global Financial System. Maybe you're close to retirement. Maybe you are really piling on in retirement. You're worried about the economy. Maybe you've just heard about ESG, want to know more. I, I doubt I doubt you've heard from someone as knowledgeable as Paul speak on the matter. So learn more about the disgrace known as ESG, and more importantly, how you as the everyday citizen can fight back against these big corporate 
NGO overlord type people who are seeking to control what you can buy with your hard-earned dollars. Tomorrow, we'll be touching base with Charter Spectrum. They've been expanding their broadband network all over northern Michigan. They have plans for more. So, again, we'll touch base with them, talk about what's been done, what will be done in the future, how it's going to impact you. All of us love our internet. Got to have it. That conversation will come tomorrow, so be sure to tune in. Your options, again, for our trivia question of where is the cheapest gas in northern Michigan today, Traverse City, Petoskey, Cadillac, or Sheboygan? The answer today is Cadillac, two ninety nine on average, the only one that is below three on that list. Today's the 21st of February, time for our famous birthday. Today we're wishing Jordan Peele a happy 45th birthday, former cast member of Mad TV, who went on to star in his own sketch comedy show, Key and Peele, alongside Keegan-Michael Key, which premiered in 2012 on Comedy Central. He was a regular performer at Boom Chicago alongside Nicole Parker. He hosted MTV's Comedy Weekend in 2002 before he signed on as a cast member on Mad TV's ninth season. He was nominated for an Emmy in 2008 for his parody song, Sad Bitty Scent. Lots and lots of good stuff from Key and Peele, my favorite being the, uh, the East-West College Bowl. Let's meet the players from the East. Demarcus Williams, University of Georgia. T.J. Jackson, Wayne State University. Tavarius Smith King, Merrimack College. Todd Royal, Smoochie Wallace, University of Miami. Desquarius Green Jr., University of Notre Dame. Ibrahim Moises, University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Jack Marius Tacteratrix, Michigan State University. The Isaiah T. Billings Clyde, Coastal Carolina University. The Jasper Probenkruck III, South Carolina State University. Leoz Maxwell Gilliams, East Carolina University. Jabaris Jamar, Jabaris and Lamar, University of Middle Tennessee. Uh, it goes on and on and on. That's just one side. I think that was just the teams from the East. And I uh, really, if you haven't seen that full video uh, with uh, Hingle McCringleberry, I uh, highly encourage you to do so. Uh, some of the best sketch comedy I've seen in my life. Happy birthday to Key. Oh, well, not exactly entirety of Key and Peel, but happy birthday to Jordan Peel. They don't have the same birthday, which would be. Unfortunate. It would make this a whole lot easier. Happy birthday to Jordan Peele and all of our February 21st birthdays. We have some local news headed your way before our conversation with Paul Tice. Dueling GOP primary conventions for choosing the president or delegates, rather, to be sent to the RNC. That could be a reality in March. Goshen's battery project looks like it's going to be happening despite some intense pushback as they further embed themselves into Macosta County and a major update for road work in Traverse City. We'll get into those stories and many more coming up after these messages. You're listening to WMKT's Talk of the North on 102.3 and 103.3 FM, 1270 AM, Triple Talk, WMKT. It's easy to see. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines. Instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families, we all know something big is coming. And that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming more self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is the nation's largest emergency preparedness company, and they make it easy for you to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure some emergency food kits. There's a dozen to choose from that contain tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging 2,000 calories per day. Get at least one food kit for each family member. My Patriot Supply also sells large solar generators, gravity-powered water filtration systems, heirloom seeds for your garden, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your items will ship that same day. Time is short. Prepare today. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. MyPatriotSupply.com. Do you need low-priced, quality health insurance for any reason right now? Then call MyHealthInsurance.com today. We specialize in helping American workers find affordable health insurance. You can save money on dental, vision, prescription drugs, too. Our message is simple. If you want affordable health insurance for you and your family, even if you have a medical condition, call right now. Is right now the best time for you to start looking for affordable health insurance? We have hundreds of plans to choose from. With one free phone call, you can learn about an affordable health insurance plan that fits your budget. Don't wait. It's a free call. Call now. 800-934-3021. That's 800-934-3021. MyHealthInsurance.com is owned and operated by IHC Specialty Benefits, a licensed insurance agency. We are not an insurance plan or provider. Not all plans are available in all areas. You may be contacted by an insurance agent. Resetting your password. Unsubscribing from emails. Printing anything. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with an auto owner's insurance independent agent, getting the right coverage for your business doesn't have to be one of them. So you can get back to more important things, like learning how that printer works. That's simple human sense. Ask Cortez Flint Insurance and Financial Services with offices in Petoskey, East Jordan, Boyne City, Gaylord, and now Traverse City and see if auto owners make sense for you. Michigan's Big Show, starring Michael Patrick Shields. Sitting across the table from the 43rd President of the United States, George W. Bush. Good morning, Mr. President. Thanks for being here. This is an important charity. On a personal note, and I don't want to take too much of your time here because everybody wants to see you. I thought so. Any word for the people in Michigan? Yeah, I miss you. I spent a lot of good time up there. I've got a lot of friends. Michigan's Big Show, weekday mornings from 6 to 9 on Triple Talk WMKT. And now we return to your home for in-depth local news coverage. WMKT's Talk of the North with Nick Rudy, exclusively on 102.3 and 103.3 FM, 1270 AM WMKT, and streaming across the Wolverine State at WMKTTheTalkStation.com. Welcome back to WMKT's Talk of the North on 1023 and 1033 FM, 1270 AM, Triple Talk, WMKT, streaming online at WMKTTheTalkStation.com. Our phone number, 866-371-1270, 866-371-1270. You can shoot us an email, WMKTBusiness at gmail.com. Find us on social media, Facebook and X. At Triple Talk WMKT, my personal X account at Nick Rudy. 
In the midst of a leadership dispute, the Michigan GOP is trudging toward dueling presidential nominating conventions to take place on March 2nd. RNC, the Republican National Committee, recognized Chairman Pete Hoekstra, and he scheduled a convention to allocate 39 of the state's 55 presidential delegates in Grand Rapids. Karamo and her supporters announced a convention the same day in Detroit. The internal Michigan GOP dispute, though, not expected to really affect the outcome because uh, Trump is the far and wide front runner. Precinct delegates allocating the 39 delegates have long been loyal to the former president, no matter if they're following Hoekstra or following Karamo. And while the internal dispute may not be resolved by March, it could be in the near future. A Kent County judge has allowed a lawsuit to go forward that seeks a court order to legally declare the disputed Michigan Republican Party chair Christina Karamo is out. Karamo had asked the judge to dismiss the case, but he had refused. Goshen has decided to lease the former JCPenney building in downtown Big Rapids and plans to set up their uh, battery plant headquarters in the building as soon as March 1st. Despite pushback on the project and a brand new Green Charter Township board, it appears the project is not slowing down. A Goshen spokesperson said they would like to have 55 employees in the office by the end of this year, 200 employees in downtown Big Rapids by 2025. Kirtland Community College is seeking to help students prepare for college and catch up on core subjects. This summer, they will host a two-week program. Students who enroll will be attending courses and learning skills to help them get ready to start college, both in person and online. This will take place during the month of June. Students will receive $25 in gas cards to help them commute to campus, and then every student who finishes the entire program and attends Kirtland College will receive $1,000 towards purchase of a laptop and a $500 voucher for school materials. In other education news, Northwest Michigan Works and Jantech Incorporated are partnering to bring the region's first welding-registered apprenticeship. The program will provide those enrolled with over 400 hours of education, educated hands-on instruction. Completion will also include credentials like the U.S. Department of Labor National Journey worker certification. You can learn more at the Northwest Michigan Works website. This month is National Cherry Month, and to celebrate, Cherry Republic is donating 2% of all sales to the Farm Stress Program. The program aims to support the well-being and mental health of Michigan farmers. If you can't make it in person to one of their six stores, online sales also count. Your drive in Traverse City is going to look a little different next month as the Michigan Department of Transportation is preparing to reconstruct the Grandview Parkway, focusing on two miles between Garfield Avenue and Division Street. Expect one-lane closures and detours. The first segment of construction from Garfield to front is expected to go from March through July. Segment two, that's going to cover front to division. That'll be from July to November. There will be a pause in work for the National Cherry Festival depending on whether this work should start on March 10th. As churches have seen an increase in violence across the country, Michigan State Police have been hosting courses seeking to help congregants protect themselves. Those enrolled learn how to develop a security plan, create a safety team, and review any current security plans they might have. The next course is in May. If you are interested or maybe your church is interested, you can contact the state police headquarters in Lansing, 517-322-1907. Again, that number, 517-322-1907. The, North the Northport Planning Commission will be discussing the potential adoption of an amended zoning ordinance and starting conversations about a new master plan at their meeting this evening at 6, right at the same time this show ends. 
You can view the many proposed changes via a link on our social platforms, Twitter and Facebook. As the village seeks to create a new master plan, they are seeking the residents' feedback on priorities regarding housing development, business and economic development, historic preservation, protection of natural resources, arts, culture, safe walking, biking, and more. The current master plan was adopted in 2018. Michigan Democrats have abolished a Rick Snyder-era oversight board that gave outside parties a voice in environmental regulations. The Environmental Rules Review Committee is a board made up of appointees, including industry representatives who vet new rules proposed by the State Department of Environment of Great Lakes and Energy. When Eagle proposes a rule, the committee gets to review a draft and request changes. The committee also has the power to reject proposed rules, forcing Eagle to either work with the committee to resolve the dispute or submit a report to the governor defending its decision. The rulemaking process can then proceed only if the governor sides with Eagle. The bill that would eliminate this board is headed to Whitmer's desk where she is expected to sign it. More college students, but less local ones. For the first time since the era of COVID, the number of high school graduates attending college has increased overall. Enrollment at two-year colleges dropped from 5.8 to 15.8 rather to 15.5%. Enrollment at four-year universities increased to 38.2% from 37%. So an overall increase of 0.9%, not moving the needle too much. Higher education is one of Governor Whitmer's biggest agenda items. Michigan ranks 34th in the nation in the percentage of adults with a bachelor degree or higher, 32%. Whitmer has set a goal of 60% of adults with college degrees or post-high school skills certification by 2030. Cena for policies, many policies to, uh, to increase that percentage work. will work or not. That's just going to be a matter of time. A different way for you to access medical care, Munson Healthcare Charlevoix Hospital announced the transition of the Charlevoix Urgent Care to a new walk-in clinic. The Urgent Care will shut down operations on March 1st and reopen as the walk-in clinic on April 1st. The new Charlevoix walk-in clinic will prioritize walk-in availability and same-day call-ahead appointments. Attorney General Dana Nessel has filed a motion to dismiss claims against the Michigan Department of Civil Rights by Studio 8 Hair Lab in Traverse City. Studio 8 challenges the constitutionality of the Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act, which prohibits discrimination based on sex, gender, or race. They say their controversial social, social media post is covered by religious freedoms. The Grand Traverse Circuit Court is expected to hear the motion in coming weeks. And finally, more food available to local students in need. The Northman Den Youth Services has received a $6,000 donation from Meyer Ace Hardware to help provide students with fresh food and appliances to take home at the Alanson and Pelston Student Food Pantries. The program has been a success. Pelston's Hornet's Nest usually sees around 112 students each Friday, and Alanson's Viking Vault Youth Pantry usually sees around 85 students. That has been your look at local news for today. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to be having a conversation with the author of the new book, The Race to Zero, How ESG Investing Will Crater the Global Financial System. This is a very important conversation that not enough people are, are talking about, and so we will cover that for you. Speaking with Paul Tice, The Race to Zero, How ESG Investing Will Crater the Global Financial System. That coming up after these messages. You're listening to WMKT's Talk of the North on 1023 and 1033 FM, 1270 AM, Triple Talk, WMKT.
Saucier, President Biden's brother James, giving closed-door testimony in relation to House impeachment investigation of the president. Maryland Representative Jamie Raskin says House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer impeachment probe not going well. It feels to me as if everyone knows the impeachment investigation is over. I think Chairman Comer has said publicly that it it's it doesn't look like uh, the support is there for impeachment. California Congressman Daryl Issa is calling a surge of migrants at the southern border a national security concern. He's worried about a lack of vetting when they are coming to the country. Here he is on the Fox News Channel. By not pushing them back and keeping them in Mexico, people from Syria and other countries of that sort absolutely cannot be vetted, and yet they're being released. There's been an influx of migrants who are originating from Asian countries. America's listening to Fox News. Now, back to WMKT's Talk of the North with Nick Rudy on 1023 and 1033 FM, 1270 AM, WMKT, and streaming statewide at WMKTTheTalkStation.com. Welcome back to WMKT's Talk of the North on 1023 and 1033 FM, 1270 AM, Triple Talk, WMKT, streaming online at WMKTTheTalkStation.com. You may have heard of the term ESG before. Maybe you have a slight understanding. Maybe you have a full understanding or somewhere in between. But no matter what you may know about it, like I said last segment, there are a few people who are as knowledgeable, especially from a background in the financial sector, than our guest, Paul Tice, author of the new book, The Race to Zero, How ESG Investing Will Crater the Global Financial System. Uh, so, Paul, thanks for joining the show today. We're here to discuss your new book, The Race to Zero, How ESG Investing Will Crater the Global Financial System. First, before we begin, can you give a little bit of your background, if you could? Sure, uh, and, and it's good to be with you, Nick. Um, so my background is uh, I worked on Wall Street for 40 years, um, and first half over the uh, career was on the sell side, second half on the buy side, and for most of my career I was involved with the energy sector. Um, and I wrote this book mainly because uh, there hasn't been uh, an inside view from Wall Street offered that is critical about ESG. Uh, mainly because people who work in the industry are not allowed to have a divergent opinion. So, you know, the first thing I did after I left my last day job two years ago was to sit down and, and write this book to kind of lay out the argument uh, against, against ESG. Um, and, you know, I think also the, the focus over the last couple of years, while it has increased in terms of the opposition to ESG, has been somewhat misplaced in terms of focusing more on um, cultural issues rather than climate change, which I think is the core of ESG, and also some of the tactics that have been proposed for reversing this, I would disagree with. Yeah, I want to get into all of that. And, and before we get into the specifics of your book, in your book, uh, about ESG broadly, a topic, like you mentioned, has gained a little bit, you know, limited traction, particularly in conservative circles, but still not very widespread. And when, when people, though, hear ESG, they might be led to think, you know, woke or something like that. But it is more specific than that. How would you define ESG? Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at the, just the, the, the straightforward definition, it's, 
It's uh, environmental, social, and governance factors, uh, all of which are non-financial metrics, but using them to set corporate policy as well as drive investment decision-making. So that's ESG in a nutshell. And it, it's predicated on stakeholder capitalism, which is this theory that companies need to be run for the benefit of society, for people and planet uh, is kind of the, uh, the language that they use, as opposed to just being run for their shareholders and bondholders and their employees. And that's not capitalism. You know, that, that may be the end stage of capitalism if we don't reverse this, but it's more socialism or at least government-directed capitalism. And, and one of the truths about ESG is that it's really the government that is driving this. This is not a populist investment fad that uh, has just come on in the last few years. It's being directed by governments, uh, governments through the, the uh, supranational agencies, particularly the United Nations, and, and a network of NGOs. So it's being forced on the market. Um, it's not based on demand kind of alluded to this, you know, we've, we've heard a lot of folks, uh, maybe not the types as far left AOC or Rashida Tlaib talking about this, but Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, others, they say they're capitalists, but then they, they back ESG. Is this a kind of reworking of capitalism? I'm not even sure if it can be called capitalism or is that something that you talked about in your book, like a fundamental change to capitalism itself through ESG? Yeah, and I think you have, one good thing about writing a book is you've got plenty of time to kind of lay out the entire argument. And so in the book, I trace the roots of this, and, and they go back, you know, decades, uh, if not more than a century. So you can view ESG and sustainable investing uh, as, as another, just the latest in, in a series of attacks on capitalism that go all the way back to the 19th century. Um, you can also look at it in the context of all the attacks that have been made on the energy sector and fossil fuels for more than 100 years now. And those are, those are two intertwined uh, programs because obviously fossil fuels drive capitalism. That's been a truism for the last 150 plus years. Um, so you have to see it in that context. And then also, as I mentioned, it's primarily the United Nations that have been leading the charge on climate change, sustainable development, and now ESG, and those are three legs to the same stool. And those really have a 40-year head start uh, on us. Um, and I think to, to assume that it's going to be reversed now, if we can just point out all the inconsistencies in it, I, I think that's uh, a little naive. I think we need to be more aggressive in terms of the tactics to reverse this. But you can view it on a continuum that goes back many decades. Uh, but I, I would argue that ESG is probably the most elegant uh, attack that has been used against capitalism because it doesn't have the fingerprints of government on it. It's really the government directing the, the uh, financial markets and the private sector to do its bidding, um, starting with uh, getting to net zero and uh, decarbonizing, which obviously most people would, would, would acknowledge is going to be negative for Americans, the economy, and the financial markets, but nobody talks about that. So it's amazing how much has been accomplished through moral duress. And now we're going to cement that all in place with regulations to make it mandatory. Did, did COVID have any uh, impact on the implementation of ESG at all? Did this, did it, did it make it go quicker? Did it hasten this? Did it hasten this? Did it, uh, did it slow it down? Was there any impact at all, but with COVID? 
Yeah, I think COVID was kind of a dry run for, you know, emergency powers declared by, by government. And it showed exactly what at least Americans and, and, you know, other citizens would be willing to take uh, if they're told that there is an emergency. So I, I think it's a dry run for what may be the declaration of a global climate emergency. And I, I think that may come as early as 2025. Certainly Europe and the European countries that are you know, really ground zero for ESG and are, are the ones pushing this are, are moving in that direction. So I think after this election year, which is a critical one, um, you know, I think uh, it may get more aggressive, you know, starting next year. But I think, you know, the ability to, to declare a climate emergency, then that gives the government more powers and they'll be more aggressive. We're in the process of a major transition in the energy sector, wind and solar electric vehicles. We're here in Michigan, and so we get particularly uh, kind of uniquely impacted by this transition uh, as we're, as you know, we're the, the auto capital, have the switch to electric vehicles for GM and Stellantis. This is also a transition that many people think will be problematic in and of itself, uh, particularly in the short term. How does ESG impact the energy sector and fossil fuel companies specifically? Well, I mean, as I said, climate change is the core priority for ESG, no matter who you talk to. Um, and if you look, climate change is the core of all the sustainable development goals. It's embedded in 12 out of the 17 goals, and then it has its own standalone goal. So everyone has agreed on one thing, that climate change is the first priority. And it's not just about driving capital to uh, electric vehicles and renewable power and, and other uh, green energy initiatives. Uh, you also need to defund fossil fuels. You need to constrain the supply of fossil fuels. So it's, it's a two-part process. And that's really what you know, I think the public needs to focus more on because it's occurring in the financial markets. But that defunding, I think, is an important piece. It's never good enough just to invest in, in whatever initiatives that they're, they're putting out there. Uh, you also have to defund oil and gas at the same time. And it's a transition that's politically driven. Uh, and this is not based on market demand. Um, and we can't complete it right now based on the technology we have. So you can pump a lot of electric vehicles and subsidize their cost um, and, and basically force consumers to buy them. But you know you can't electrify the entire economy at the same time that you're making it more dependent on intermittent renewable solar and, and wind, right? And we know how that, that ends. You know, it means our, our grid is gonna be more unstable. And if it goes down in the winter, that means more people will die as we saw in Texas three years ago. So, you know, unreliable power is not something we really, we really had to deal with for, for the last 100 years. That's going to now be coming back in vogue because of these policies, which, again, they're, they're government-driven. They're not driven by the market or technology. Try to make it applicable to the individual listener, because most of us are your simple nine-to-five folks. We're not hedge fund managers, not corporate elites or politicians. How would ESG affect the average person's daily life and where would that show up? Is this going to be, you know, in their retirement accounts? Where is this going to be showing up in, you know, for individuals? Where, where can they witness this taking place in their daily lives? Well, if they're invested in the market, um, then, you know, they'll see it in terms of um, more restricted investment options, right? You know, if these regulations come down from the SEC and the Department of Label, Labor and uh, withstand legal challenge, then you will have less options in terms of what you can invest in because ESG is driving that. 
And at points in time, you know, you're going to miss out on, on outperformance by the energy sector because obviously it's driven by commodity prices. And so in 21 and 22, the, the, the best performing sector in both the debt and equity markets, bar, you know, bar none, was oil and gas, right? So you will miss out on that investment performance. But, you know, for all Americans, you know, I think the pain will really be felt in terms of higher energy prices because if you defund the industry, if you constrain capital, growth will be constrained on the supply side. And the laws of supply and demand just tell you that that means prices are going to go up. So, you know, I think directionally, uh, oil moving back above $100 per barrel is likely over the next coming years. Um, and then Americans are going to feel that because that'll drive the cost of everything. So the inflation we've had to deal with the last two years, uh, which has been bad, I think will look like child's play, you know, if we have to deal with higher energy prices. Because, you know, energy is hydrocarbons are used to make everything and transport everything. I mean, that's the reality. So... That is where uh, consumers are really going to feel it. And that's going to be a very regressive tax, you know, impacting lower income strata, you know, in particular. You mentioned the UN. Um, I'm also kind of curious in your research and in, on ESG, what kind of role the, the World Economic Forum may have had in promulgating this new way of investing. And can you kind of speak further into how the government is using and massaging these non-governmental organizations, in some cases, you know, outside of the UN, obviously, how they're using those to push their agenda. Yeah, well, as I mentioned, you know, the United Nations has taken the lead since the 80s on climate change. Obviously, they have their regular reports there. Uh, So they're leading the so-called research around the climate. And then sustainable development since the late 80s has also been an important vertical. And then in the 2000s, 2006, they set up their um, Principles for Responsible Investment, which is an investor group, um, and that basically is the last leg of the stool, as I mentioned, but it's, it's the important one because it's, it gets at the financing and the funding piece of all of this agenda. And if you look right now, basically every investor on Wall Street is a member of that PRI group. And, you know, with that membership comes requirements. You know, you have to integrate ESG into all of your assets, you know, greater than 90% technically, but effectively it's all of your assets, even if they were not raised, you know, under an ESG mandate. So obviously that's a fiduciary problem. And then you also have to engage with all the companies you invest in and force them to comply. And you have to file regular reports to show that you're um, in compliance with the program. And then you have to collaborate with everybody else. Uh, to make this, you know, all go into effect. So it's a very collective, coercive process that's being pushed on to Wall Street, and the UN is behind all of that. Um, and then obviously a lot of the, uh, the national governments, you see the bureaucrats there get recycled and work at the UN as whatever commissioner. John Kerry would be a good example. In this country, um, you know, the, the uh, prime minister of Norway who headed up the Sustainable Development uh, Commission back in the 80s, she went on to be a climate advisor. So it's all intertwined, and it's the same people, and it's a non-democratic process. You can't vote out the UN. Um, so no one's really voted on, on this, or, or we've had a referendum on whether we want to do this. It's just being implemented behind the scenes, you know, through regulations or, or moral duress. This might be a bit deep into the weeds, but you might have some insight on this as, as far as the why. Why are folks in the UN specifically, why, why are they 
pushing ESG? Is this getting, is this lining their own pockets with money, lining the money, uh, the pockets of their friends? Is this just a, um, this is going to put them further into solidifying their power or is it kind of all of the above? Yeah, I think it's all of the above. But to get back to your last question, the World Economic Forum, you know, which was formed in 1971, since the 80s, they have kind of been a fellow traveler with the United Nations. So they echo each other in terms of sustainability, stakeholder capitalism, because again, they're, they're both intertwined. So you will see a lot of white papers and policy papers coming out of the World Economic uh, Forum, you know, many of which are trial balloons, but ultimately they'll get implemented. Um, so they're all reading from the same playbook. Uh, and again, the, the World Economic Forum is an NGO, it's a nonprofit. Um, it, it, it's unclear why so many companies feel that they have to adhere to their agenda, as well as the UN agenda. I mean, we, we didn't right. vote on the Paris Agreement. It never went to the Senate for ratification. The same for the Sustainable Development Goals. And so that's, that's extra constitutional. So um, why companies and state and local governments in this country think that they have to adhere to it and align uh, is unclear. But um, to your last question, why? I think there's a lot of money to be made here. Obviously, there are billions and millions of dollars being churned out to subsidize a lot of these initiatives. People are making careers out of this. You know, Al Gore, Michael Bloomberg, obviously, uh, are both involved with, with ESG. Um, and there's a lot of conflict of interest around this. But I think at the end of the day, back in the 80s, the UN kind of shifted its mandate, you know, away from the original one, which was to prevent war on this planet and keep the peace to more of a, uh, a social agenda using soft power behind the scenes. So it's all about control. And, you know, if I'm right in terms of my, my argument that climate change is the core and that's targeted at fossil fuels, well, you know, if you control fossil fuels, you control capitalism and growth. And that's going to be negative in terms of mobility, economic freedom, uh, as well as democracy. Um, and those will not be free markets that result on the back of this. Yeah, that's, that's very concerning. You know, and this might slightly... Um back from that previous question, but ESG is kind of a taboo subject in polite society. Uh, why has the idea of ESG received a little public pushback? And, and why are the folks on Wall Street afraid to speak up? Is it just kind of group think? Well, I, I think, I mean, Wall Street is similar to other industries. If you have a CEO who said, we're going to do this sustainability thing, um, you know, if you speak out in public, if you push back on it day to day, you know, you're probably not going to get paid and eventually you're going to get fired. Right. And I've experienced some of that, you know, towards the tail end of my career. Right. So, um, it's tough to speak out, uh, and contradict the CEO. Um, and so it's a top down thing, um, that's being pushed on individual companies. Um, but, um, I, I think it's a taboo subject also, because as I said, if you want to get into a, a public fight about ESG, then that means the first punch that you have to throw is around climate change and questioning the data and the science there, which, you know, I devote a whole chapter of my book to that. I think that's very easy to argue um, that climate, there is no climate emergency and the data don't say what everyone is, is telling us they say. They say. Um, but no one wants to throw that first punch. So I think that's another thing that helps to shut down dissent. Um, you know, Climate denier has been thrown around for decades. You know, I've been called that 
you know, for some of the stuff I've written publicly for the last few years. I laugh whenever people say that, but for a lot of people, you know, it's enough to keep them quiet, uh, which is unfortunate because I think we need to speak more bluntly and, and talk about the obvious truths about what's going on here. We've talked about how ESG will impact the energy and fossil fuel sectors and why we should be generally concerned about this move towards sustainable investing. Any other specific areas that ESG will potentially cause issues in that we haven't addressed yet? Well, you know, I think that's that's the big one. That's, you know, the, the, the negative scenario for the markets. You know, this transition we know can't be completed as dialed right now, and, and it's going to have a very negative macroeconomic impact. But, um, you know, I think there, there probably will be a lot of unintended consequences. Um, it, it's really once you have control of individuals by saying that emissions are a problem, and we need to control it. And, and maybe the next iteration is we take it down to the individual level and people get a carbon allotment, which the World Economic Forum has thrown that out there as, as potentially something we need to do. Or we have 15-minute cities. You can see that the, the, the read-through for society in general is very negative. Um, and the other thing about ESG to keep in mind is that it, it's a two-tiered um, playing field. Uh, all of these requirements on the ESG front, particularly around decarbonizing, are applied towards mainly developed countries and developed markets. And then the third world is given a pass. You know, so we're going to be lowering living standards in the industrialized West and raising them in the third world, uh, which m many people think is okay. But you know, there clearly is a way to do it differently and to raise living standards in the third world most likely by, by increasing their use of dependable fossil fuels, but no one is willing to have that discussion. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of unintended consequences, um, you know, but if we get climate right, then it dismantles the entire framework. In that answer, you kind of brought up something that I'm, I'm interested in. And just two more questions. Uh, thank you for your time so far. This has been a very interesting conversation. Uh, with the, um, you kind of like talking about third world countries and, you know, modern countries, but then you kind of look over at China. They're not adhering to the uh, kind of this ESG environmentally friendly way of living that many more modern countries are following at the behest of the UN, as you mentioned. Why do they get a free pass while Western countries don't? Well, I, I think the system has been gamed. Um, I think it's very late to be calling China and India you know, uh, developing countries. Clearly, they're, they're at least middle income. Um, and, and clearly, they're significant in terms of, of size. But uh, give you one metric, you know, for every one gigawatt of coal power generation that we've shut down in the last eight years in North America and Europe, the industrialized world, um, we've added two new gigawatts of generation for coal in the third world, primarily China and India, right? So to your point, um, they are held up to a different standard, which is no standard. Um, and I, I think that just speaks to the lack of credibility and, and uh, authority for the United Nations. I mean, the UN really has been captured by, by developing countries going back to you know, the 50s and 60s. And I think this, this shift in their mandate that really kicked in in the 80s towards you know, uh, an environmental and social program, um, part of that is a wealth transfer. Um, but again, it, it's, it's basically a reverse takeover of the UN, if you want to think about it. Um, and so there, there's not a logic to it, uh, um, but 
you know, it, it explains why it's being driven by the UN. Lastly, maybe a little bit of hope. Uh, some of the biggest promoters of ESG uh, I've seen, BlackRock and Vanguard, are really trying to latch on to this. There's, they're the biggest asset managers in the world. It's really hard to break free. How can the everyday person, though, fight back against ESG investing? Well, I, I, I would make the point that while a lot of firms may be led by a CEO who really believes in this, and, and clearly that would be the case for BlackRock, um, which is run by Larry Fink, you know, there are more CEOs who are afraid to speak out about this and are just doing this out of fear. Because the way ESG works is if you don't stick with the program, then you become the next target. And if you're a public company, they will, you know, target you with a proxy battle or they'll have protesters show up at your annual meeting or at your headquarters, you know, give you bad publicity. So it, it, it's basically meant to keep everyone in place. So I think a lot of firms, both within Wall Street as well as across business, are afraid to speak out. So it's more driven by fear as opposed to they agree with everything uh, on the ESG agenda. And Bud Light's a good example. Um, you know, I, I don't think the fact that they can't seem to right the ship in the past year for the debacle around, you know, the uh, the transgender marketing they had for Bud Light nearly a year ago, um, that to me tells me that, you know, the fact that they can't articulate um, why they made a mistake uh, in terms of that marketing decision is because they're worried about the financial markets uh, as opposed to just one small advocacy group. Because ESG, you have to buy into everything, right? Otherwise, again, as I said, you become the target. And I think the fact that Bud Light, Anheuser-Busch has a European parent also explains it because obviously Europe is, is, uh, is more focused on ESG and has been really the driving force, at least those governments there, for a lot of this agenda. But what can people do? Um, obviously, you control your, your dollars, so don't patronize any company that doesn't align with your values. I think the same thing goes for whoever manages your money. Um, but I think the other important piece should be that educate yourself about climate change. And most, most Americans probably realize that it's a hoax um, intuitively. Uh, arm yourself with a little information. You know, you know read the, the, the stuff that's out there. More scientists now are speaking up about it, which is good. As I said, the data is flawed. Uh, I try to lay out all the problems you know, in one chapter to help frame the issues. And focus on that going forward and, and, and put pressure on your lawmakers. Because as I mentioned, I think the government, we need government resources to kind of lead the charge. And that's probably at the state level. Um, actually, getting back to one of your previous questions about why don't people speak up about this? The other side has been very good about characterizing the debate as a political one. So if you criticize ESG, you're, you're, you're basically said to be you know acting too political, right? And that helps to also to shut down the conversation. I, I think people who are opposed to this and what's happening in the markets should embrace that. I mean, yeah, this is this is politics at the end of the day. This is progressive politics masquerading as finance. Um, and we should just acknowledge that. And again, I think a lot of the state HEs, the red states are gonna help to lead the charge to challenge some of these regulations. And the Chevron ruling, which hopefully comes down from the Supreme Court in the next few months, hopefully reverses a lot of the deference that's been given to regulatory agencies the last few years. And maybe that helps to accelerate um, the pushback uh, on the ESG and the climate front. 
Um, so I think Americans need to voice and, and focus more on this because it, this is really the most important thing to worry about in terms of um, getting to net zero and shutting down fossil fuels. It's defunding it in the markets. Um, a lot of these uh, public regulations that, that people are, are, are seeing now, not allowing you to have a generator you know, not, or, or a gas uh, furnace or a gas stove or the pause on LNG exports, um, they're not as significant in my mind as what's going on in the market. Well, thank you for letting us know what to do because I know a lot of our listeners definitely are are starting to get concerned about ESG and are looking for ways how they can fight back. We're speaking with Paul Tice, author of the new book, The Race to Zero, How ESG Investing Will Crater the Global Financial System. If you found this conversation interesting, concerning, eye-opening, or any combination of those, head over to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your favorite book retailer to pick up, again, your copy of The Race to Zero, How ESG Investing Will Crater the Global Financial System. Paul, thanks for your time today and uh, for highlighting this very important issue. Thanks, Nick. Uh, thanks for having me. And as you'd imagine, we're kind of out of time uh, with the uh, running up against the clock here. But if you missed that interview, you can head over to WMKT, thetalkstation.com. Any part of the interview, click Special Edition Interviews under the On Demand tab. You can listen to it in its entirety just the interview again thanks to paul tice for joining the show today and that is uh we're gonna have to skip over the market watch we'll do that on tomorrow's show you have all of your investing advice straight from paul probably anything better than i could give you for sure again we are up against the clock we'll be back tomorrow with more of the news you need to know you are listening to wmkt's talk of the north on 1023 and 1033 fm 1270 am triple talk wmkt have a good night <laughs>